Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 169. Um, my guest this week is one of the best guests I've ever had. It's it's an astounding episode. I'm joined by um, Suad McHennett, um, who, if you don't know of, you you very much will um, shortly. She's, yeah, this conversation... Where where to begin? Um, really, I have to just let it it, um, it play out. But honestly, you're gonna I love this. Before we get into it, I should say thank you for um, for downloading our, our last week's episode. I had Eddie, Eddie Izzard on last week, and it's one of the most popular um, episodes we've done so far this year. So that's good, and I've got a lot of good ones coming up. I've got Hugo White from the Maccabees next week, um, which is fantastic. I've lined up two or three that are the biggest guests I've ever had. But I'm not going to tell you about them until they're absolutely confirmed. But things I will tell you about is, as this goes out on Wednesday, tomorrow night, Thursday, the 21st of September, I'm doing the first ever live Distraction Pieces podcast in Ireland, in Dublin, at the Tivoli Theatre. It's going to be great. It's going to be you lot asking questions. In fact... Shall I announce my secret guest? Because it's only a day to go. This will only be for the people who who listen on the first day of release. Right, don't tell anyone. But, it's not 100% confirmed anyway, but I might be having um, a blind boy from the Rubber Bandits come on stage for a little chat. I will be having Stu and Chris come on stage for a little chat, and I will be having all you lot come on stage for a little chat to ask questions, engage... And be part of the podcast. I'll also be telling you some stories and stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be a good time. But what we've added... Good Lord. What we've added is the next night on Friday the 22nd at 11.30 in the evening um, at the, the Social Club. I think it's just called the, the Social Club. It's on my Instagram and that. We're doing the first ever live hardcore listing drunk cast. So Chris and Stu are coming with me to Ireland. We're doing a drunk cast in Ireland with a crowd there to engage with and discuss and drink with. We're going to be doing it as a hardcore listing because that means that we can get a bit drunk beforehand. Because the drunk cast is often five hours, we can't do a live show of that. So we'll have a few drinks beforehand and then we'll prepare some top fives to go through and we'll get the audience involved and it'll be a blooming mess in all likelihood. So that's going to be fun. And then, so that's at 11 o'clock on Friday, right? (laughs) 11 o'clock on Friday is when we start. We then get a few hours sleep, and then we're on a like eight o'clock flight home to the UK to do our club night at the book club. Um, a we are lizards. It's the it's the penultimate um, one of the year. A second from last, we've got Huey Morgan coming to spin some tunes. It's going to be amazing. It's looking like it's it's going to be a rammed one. So if you fancy coming along, pop your names, send names to info at thetrashsociety.com um, and you'll get on the Q-Jump list because it gets a bit hectic and mental. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Is that everything to tell you about? Um, I always have to mention speechdevelopmentrecords.com but we're on a bit of a gap. Um, I'm launching new new winter merch very soon, Dark Winter. The dark summer stuff is still up there and still ticking over. But, I mean, speechdevelopmentrecords.com, as I've mentioned before, we've also got, as well as merch, we've got vinyl and CDs, which people don't know about anymore. A CD is an old form of 
of listening to music. It's called a, it, it stands for car disc, um, and it's because people put these CDs into their cars and listen to albums. So if you'd like a car disc of any of the of the of the releases on Speech of Venom Records, then check that out. Um, I think that's everything I need to tell you. Let me tell you about this episode. It's with Soad McKennett, and she's got a book out called They Told Me to Come Alone, and it's just been nominated for the Bailey Gifford Prize, which is huge. Um, And this is a painfully timely episode because there was a terror attack in London last week. As I record this, I'm recording this on the Saturday there was a terror attack in London yesterday. It was a fairly unsuccessful terror attack, but a terror attack nonetheless. And Soad is one of the world's leading journalists on on terrorism, on foreign affairs, on these on everything that's going on around the world. And she's uniquely positioned, being um, a, a Muslim immigrant that grew up in the West. Um, is really an amazing position to to get a handle on all this. And this was, as I've said, I mean, you'll hear in this podcast, there's a few points where I have to remember that I'm doing a podcast and not just listening to a podcast, if that makes sense. Because so much of what she was saying was just blowing me away. And it should be getting to the end of a story. And I'd be like, oh, shit, I meant to engage and talk and say stuff. But I was just so blown away and in awe of of, of, of what she's d- d- done and the risks she's taken. It's it's amazing. Um Please share this one if you can, guys. I think it's a really important one, particularly with everything that's going on at the moment. Um, It's it's wicked when we have guests like Eddie Izzard and Will Porter and Ashlyn B and and loads of these huge stars and they get huge numbers. Everyone shares it. The Goldie episode when people thought we'd uncovered Banksy. Wicked, man. I love all the extra downloads. I love the attention that gets, but... These are the episodes that make distraction pieces what it is to me. It's the episodes of people that you might not have heard of, but you should. And discussing things and educating me most of the time on things that are needed to be educated on. And maybe a few other people need to be educated on too. So, yeah, I sincerely hope that you enjoy this. And I hope even more that you use your social media and your social circles to push this episode and encourage people to listen to it and gain a great a greater understanding of uh, of some very complex subjects if we're honest anyway i'm going to stop rambling um i'll be i'll pop back at the end obviously to remind you of 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 numerous things but yeah this is episode 169 of the distraction pieces podcast with the amazing so Ed McHennett. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. This piece of fiction is the intro to distraction. Right, um, I'm joined today by Sued McHennett. Um, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. It's it's lovely to chat. This came about because um, Josh Weller uh, brought you to my attention. It's a weird one. Oh, 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 when you've got a podcast, everyone always has someone that they want to recommend and, and that'd be good. And you, you generally have to politely kind of go, okay, but I've got guests I, I lined up. I've, I've, got, I've got it covered. And 
as soon as I started to do some as, as some research on your book and on your career in general, yeah, I said to Josh Insley, like, yeah, we need to to make this happen. So I'm I'm, I'm glad you've got time to to sit down and have a bit of a chat. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here, and uh, yeah, it's amazing to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, so it's uh, when I was planning this, there's so much I want to talk about. Obviously, you've got a, a, your new book. I was t- I told to come alone. Um, and it, it tells a lot of the stories of, of, of your life and of your career. And I was trying to think of the best way to start this. And it feels almost lazy to start at the beginning, but it's the thing that, that I, I realize is so key to p- 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 position you as the right person to look into s- 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 so many things. So actually just at the beginning, I'll just mention that you're, um, an award winning j- journalist and we've, uh, the Washington Post, you've you've covered a lot of of of, of terrorism and 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 that area mm-hmm. uh, f- uh, uh, f- for years. But you grew up in Germany, right? Yeah, I did. So let's kind of Germany, start yeah. there. What was your 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 upbringing in Germany? And- sure. So yeah, I was actually born as the daughter of uh, so-called guest workers. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term, but no. um, so there was a time in Germany um, after the war where uh, German companies were looking for um, people who could do um, some of the jobs that. Uh, you know, where they needed people yeah. workforce. And um, uh, and so they hired or they went into certain countries and were looking for people to work in Germany, especially from Turkey, former Yugoslavia, Italy, Spain. Yeah. And those were called guest workers. Right, and, right. And uh, my parents are coming from two different countries. My mom is from Turkey, from the Turkish-Syrian border region. Right, And right. my dad uh, from Morocco. And they both um, met in Germany and uh, fell in love there and got married. So I was born as the daughter of so-called guest workers yeah, in Germany yeah. and um, grew up in a, in a very um, nice neighborhood. It wasn't really the neighborhood we would usually be able to afford. Um, but my uh, my dad was a chef and his uh, his boss um, lived in that building uh, in Klettenberg Street, number eight. Yeah. And he also had like a rooftop um, apartment, um, which uh, uh, again was in this very nice neighborhood, but um, it was, if we could say so, a crappy apartment because it right. would rain in. Right. Um, and I remember how my mom had to, you know, pull out the buckets and, and make uh, sure that it wouldn't rain on our oh, beds. Wow. Um, so yeah, we were a little bit the outsiders in that neighborhood because yeah. we weren't like the, the kids of managers or rich people. The and cheap, so. the cheap flat in in the nice n- neighborhood. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, it's a good way to be, and it's it's, it's fascinating to look back at, um, particularly at the moment with all the constant fear mongering and talk of of immigration and migration. I think it, it, people forget that there were there's been m- many many times in history when immigration was sought out and migrants were sought to to, to 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 come to a country and requested rather than oh how many can we take it's like this is what we need yeah. you know they've been a key part of, of, of rebuilding societies in the uk as well in most countries after after any of the wars in fact that there would be a need so not a oh we're going to do a charity and take people it's like no can you come and help us put our society back together again yeah and pip and there's also something else which a lot of people forget like i um when i interviewed my parents for the book but also um throughout my upbringing i realized that um very often um at least in germany 
the employers uh, weren't really interested in 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 the in integrating um, their their workers. Like right. for example, it was it wasn't in their interest that they would know what 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 rights they had. Right. Course, I have yeah. come across a lot of people who worked very hard and very often they would do the jobs that um, Germans wouldn't do for that amount of money yeah. and um, they had no idea what rights they had they were just working and they kept silent and um, and it's um, so I, I, I lived uh, I was born in Germany but I lived for three and a half years in Morocco with my grandmother right And um, and also I call her like the first feminist I met in my life. Right. And I believe that my grandparents played um, somehow a role in um, putting this idea of maybe um, becoming a journalist one day. I think yeah. they planted that seed indirectly. Yeah. Um, and my grandmother was somebody who, um, and this is also again a totally different picture um, that you know about Muslim women. Um, uh, than what what we hear very often in in societies or in the media today. So this woman, my grandmother, she was divorced three times. She right. she left her husbands, by the way, yeah. and um, she brought up her kids on her own. Um, she worked very hard. She was very much, you know, um, uh, she was a very um, deeply religious uh, and spiritual person. Mm -hmm. um, she. Was in the same time she was somebody who would not allow people to mess up with her or mess yeah. around with her. Yeah. And um, um, I mentioned in I was told to come along different scenes where, for example, policemen were asking for bribes and uh, and she would basically uh, scream and shout at them in the middle of the road. Or there was another scene where when I went to Quran school, so I got the Quran teachings in Morocco. Yeah. Um, and this teacher beat me up, um, and I would run back home and cry. My grandmother mother took me back to the school and then, you know, took off her shoes and started hitting the teacher, the imam, <laughs> I mean, this religious Amazing. person. Yeah. And, um, and was also always telling me as a woman, um, don't think that women in Islam have no rights and don't allow people to mess, um, mess around yeah. with you. So um, those two people, my grandfather, my grandmother, I think they planted quite a couple of seeds in who I am today. And again, I think it's, 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 it's really evident there how, how that would influence um, you to be someone who has the freedom of thought to, to, to look unbiased and criticize and find the problems on, on both sides of an issue so um purely the combination of a muslim and um, and western upbringing but we, with times as tense as they are and situations as tense as they are it's really easy for people particularly after any kind of terrorist incident to be very emotional and reactionary on on the side that they're on that you know whether it's the reaction from the west or the attack from uh, A, a, a group with Muslim, you know, a, a roots, but yeah. or 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 again, uh, Muslims I know, and me defending them in the same way, saying no, it's not all Muslims, it's this and that. But the the, the key part, I think, to any solution, it's why I've 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 been f fascinated at reading your work and your and your journey is that it takes people from the West to analyze what's wrong with the west why we're so easy to be radicalized against you know it shouldn't be you it, it it's not easy to turn people against the quite simple good guys there you know i mean there has to be shades of great and equally yeah. um people from muslim communities and societies to say yeah no there are some 
problems within our teachings, within the Quran, within this, within that, within the interpretations. Um, and we need to address that as well. And instantly hearing of 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 your grand attacking the man with a shoe and 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 not agreeing that, that that women are the silent part and all this, it's that's an example long long ago of someone who has an awareness of that that there should be a a, a belief and a, a passion for their, their beliefs, but also an openness to criticize and use logic and say no, well that's 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 clearly not right. Let's. Yeah. Uh, let's address that. And you know, Pip, it's actually, um, uh, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I think, um, what I was, what, what I was trying to do or what I'm do, uh, trying to do in this book, and yeah. I was told to come along is to, to look at the situation of radicalization from the perspective of me growing up in, in Germany, but also bringing in the, uh, the incidents that I believe played a very big role in why we are where we are today. And yeah. there's two incidents that took place in 1979, one in Saudi Arabia. Um, but first, uh, the one uh, which was the return of the uh, of Ayatollah Khomeini to Iran, um, right. which actually fueled uh, radicalization there. And then the siege of Mecca in Saudi Arabia, where a group of radical people um, you know, um, went into Mecca and, um, so, I mean, the whole story is in the book, but, um, um, they, 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 they managed, um, as the ulemas, the, um, religious, uh, leaders in Saudi Arabia were, uh, managed to basically blackmail the, the Saudi royal family into, right. Uh, changing, uh, you know, things and getting more rights, um, and we're able to spread more, um, uh, a more, let's say, uh, a different interpretation of of Islam also throughout uh, different countries. And so both um, events in 1979 play a role, and then of course the war in Afghanistan. So I, yeah. I, I start to, exp- I try to explain to the reader we have to look at history and of uh, at what happened in the past in order to understand why we are where we are today. Completely, yeah. And um, so the, um, you know, regarding the Imam, I, it's very, uh, it's, it might be, uh, you know, it's it's very interesting. But I just got back from Spain where I covered the. Um, the attacks in Barcelona. And I went to this area where um, those men who were radicalized, the men of uh, Moroccan descent, but uh, they spoke all better Catalan and Spanish than than, uh, Arabic because they grew up in Spain. They grew up in this area. And I... I realized so we realized very fast that the so-called imam was the problem, that this was a person who who radicalized those young men. And I remembered this story of my grandmother, how she, when she realized that, you know, imams are usually people who have a lot of respect, who get get a lot of respect from the community. But my grandmother basically didn't care. She cared about, is this a person who respects others and who, you know, does good? Or is he not? And if yeah. he's not, he will, you know, he will get what he deserved from her perspective yeah, to yeah. be beaten up yeah. because he beat <laughs> up her granddaughter. And it was so interesting because it made me realize we have still an issue. And this was also the issue in Spain. Uh, we have a man who spent several years in prison. Okay. Other people spent uh, time in prison too. But the community in Spain had no idea. The Muslim community, when they gave his name to the authorities in Spain mm-hmm. and said, this is a person who we want to have as an imam, the authorities, the police, nobody told them, oh, by the way, this guy was in prison before yeah. that for drugs. 
if they would have known, they would never have made him, uh, uh, you know, the It'd imam. That position that of power position, and trust. That yeah. power and trust because he lied to them. He lied about where he told them he had studied Islam. He spoke Arabic. A lot of people there don't speak Arabic. So they thought, okay, mm. he must be somebody who really, truly knows the business. Yeah. Now, and this is one of the fundamental problems. So the Muslim community in Spain or in Ripoll, where those young men came from, they actually did what they had to do. They reported him and asked uh, for the authorities to tell him if he's okay to be given this right. job. Yeah. Everybody said, yeah, you know, there, there is nothing on him, which again is a mistake apparently happened because the Spanish police didn't apparently give the information to the Catalan police. However, this guy was able to recruit so many young men who could have turned into something totally different. Yeah. And, The problem we are facing today, and um, it's it's also whenever such an attack happens, like in Spain or when here in the UK or other places, mm -hmm. we intend very often to look at it from as something that is coming from the outside yeah. and hitting our societies. Yeah. And we are not willing to look into what is actually happening within our societies. I yeah. mean, those people were radicalized in Spain The, the 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 people uh, all the other attackers who attack who, who recently took uh, you know attacked here in in the UK or yeah. in other places they were radicalized in the midst of Europe yeah. so we cannot always say this is not our problem and, and, it's and, a Moroccan problem or whatsoever yeah, and it's, previous it is our problem previous are uh, UK attacks again uh, British and UK people have have been radicalized and the and the backlash will always be oh we need to again send them them back to where they come from it's like that's that 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 illustrates the the misunderstanding in one sentence it's like they are where they come from yeah the the, the problem as you said is the, the the radicalization it's interesting to hear there the the hijacking of a of a, a beliefs a, a system essentially a, a person who was a criminal coming in and and defrauding his 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 community to 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 To, to get to a position of power to be able to then control people and direct people and tell people what to do. And that's that's a, a worrying thing there and sh surely can only be solved by not the the, the further distancing or separating or segregating, but the further integrating. If, if the police had a greater relationship with the Muslim community there, then that bit of information wouldn't have got lost. It wouldn't have got overlooked it would have been an integrated part of it rather than well here's our community here's their community let's get this information if 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 more members of the muslim community were part of the police force were part of the the police community as well then you know i mean there would be that greater sharing of information it, it's i think the problem in in the case of spain was that the apparently the authorities in catalonia are not really um you know cooperating that well with the authorities in Madrid. So, right, you know, there's, yeah. they have this whole question of whether it should be uh, a separation and, yeah, course, uh, and so yeah. on. And they have uh, soon they're going to vote on that. So I had the impression that this was actually one of the bigger uh, problems. What, what, what I found very interesting is that, and also some UK papers and some people, other papers in, in Europe, again, made it into a problem that is not a European problem. They were talking about the man from Morocco. And I said, yeah, they were born in Morocco, but 
they grew all up here yeah. in the midst of our societies. They weren't radicalized there. Yeah. So we, we should, and this is the, you know, as long as we are doing that and it's the same, you know, it's, it's basically people are trying to um, explain it as, oh yeah, those people, they don't like our way of life. They don't yeah. like uh, our societies, our freedom and so on. And I, I'm trying to explain, and I was told to come alone um, that, you know, by taking the reader with me into those interviews that yeah. I have done with people, members of ISIS, of Al Qaeda, or of the Taliban, um, to tell them, look, here, are, here is what they told me. Yeah. Um, we may not agree with what they're saying, but at least listen to why they hate us, because 100%. that yeah. was the you know the motivation for me to do this kind of reporting, to really go um, in, on the ground and sometimes risking my life in order to gain um, access to the, those people who don't yeah. very often speak to journalists. Um, one of the main motivations was that I met this this widow of a nine eleven. Uh, victim and her her husband was a firefighter and um and his widow Maureen Fanning, um she asked as journalists um one day um why did you know why didn't we know why didn't we know that there are people out there who are hating us so much and why do they hate us yeah. so much because if we know maybe or if we knew maybe we could have done something to prevent this from happening and and I believe that still um very often people. Um, are not willing to really have the discussions we should have. Hundred percent. It's it's it, it's the confusing um, understanding with sympathy. It's essential to go and gain understanding with these people. That's not meaning that you're saying, "Oh, they're all right," or "I yeah. get what you're doing." I see why you've done that. It's going. No, I want to understand why you've done that. As you said, then we may not agree. We probably won't agree. But surely gaining that that understanding is better than simply standing back and saying they're the monsters and they're again it's it's the humanization of it which again people will feel well no i don't i don't want them to be humans sadly they are humans um the old again the saying of of of, of we don't let m m monsters into our society we let normal looking people um so again it's it's what i found fascinating was the idea of going beyond these headlines and, and labels of these evil ISIS people and going, right, who's the human behind this? Do you know what I mean? No one, I think, is just sitting there thinking, I'm evil. I'm going to do something evil today. They're going to believe that what they're doing is right in the same way that we will believe that what we're doing is right. So surely there's a, a place of finding understanding there. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Pip. And, and you said something very important. This is not a book that is... Um justifying terrorism not yeah, at all yeah. i um i mean i i basically also say and people who who, re, who read i was told to come along they will see that i challenge those guys quite a lot i ask and them again, difficult questions at great personal risk <laughs> and yes at yeah. great personal risk but also um in order to sometimes um you know um uh, make them make them look into into the mirror like when yeah. when they um very often see themselves as the victims as the victims of the west or, you know, that uh, people would say there's a war against Islam going on or these kind of arguments. And of course, they already have a whole, you know, um, kind of set of of, uh, of arguments yeah. in order to 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 say or to uh, justify the way they are behaving, uh, they, the way they're thinking or the way they uh, they, they are acting. So yeah. um, and for me, the, the important thing is to challenge that as well. And um, which I, for example, when you read the 
the interaction I had with this ISIS commander yeah. who um, was highly educated, um, not was, he still is alive, um, so who's highly educated and who um, had a huge position inside ISIS. Um, and, uh, and this is a person who, younger than me, could have turned into something totally different. And yeah. he was trying to to present to me this whole picture of we are the victims, you know, this is basically, uh, we are just reacting, this, they are attacking us first, so we have to, and I, in the argument, in this conversation with him, I basically are telling him, um, this is, you know, first of all, you came to Syria, it's not your country, you have no right to come here, yeah, I mean, this, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. No, nobody asks you, but of course, he had his arguments ready, um, and he was trying to convince me that I was also kind of like a victim of discrimination. And um, so there was a back and forth uh, uh, debate going on in this car. I was, you know, I, I was told to come alone to this meeting. And yeah. then I had to get into a car and drive around the, the Turkish Syrian border region with this guy. And then the, the, the discussion grew so heated that at some stage his right hand went up to his pocket. And oh, I wow. knew he had... His, he had his gun there or yeah. a knife and that was the moment I had to stop. But um, it's for me also important to to, to show the reader um, that I'm arguing with them as well. Yeah. You know, here yeah. I am, I'm a Muslim woman and I challenge them when they try to hijack my religion yeah. and turn it into, um, uh, 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 you know, an, uh, uh, something that they can um, justify their acts and uh, their actions and yeah. they, they, the, the killing of innocent people with. So um, it's, it's also um, very important for, uh, for I think, to, to explain that um, you can, to a certain extent, argue with people. But then when, as soon as his hand went up to his pocket, I understood you have to stop here. Yeah, yeah this is the point to, to, to draw a line under. And that's, that must be a, 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 a sharp jump back to reality as well because regardless of how nerve-wracking it's been to get to that situation when you're engaged in a debate it's probably easy to forget that this is a dangerous situation because you're having a passion it's something that you care hugely about it's something that's a huge part of your whole life from birth to now um and similarly obviously with the person you're arguing so yeah that must be quite a a snap back to reality to kind of go okay yeah I, I remember where i am as such and know that that this is as far as i can argue absolutely yes and um and there have been some other um incidents where i had um similar uh moments and i i mean the, the but the book is also talking about uh, you know how those guys are in within their own family structure i mean there was yeah. the situation where i wanted to interview um, uh, uh, one of the deputies of Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, right? The, ma the man who was the leader of uh, al-Qaeda al in Iraq right. um, wow. and who started with all the beheading videos. Um, so um, I was in Jordan and uh, this person uh, first agreed to meet and then said he couldn't make it and he had like uh, toothache or whatsoever. And, yeah. um, and I tried to basically convince him and through a contact person, we went to his home and he just said he wouldn't do it. And then the mother comes into the room of this man, this jihadist, right? This jihadist leader um, who always pre presented himself as like the big leader, a tough leader. And then this mother comes in and I could, I saw how his face expression, but also the way he spoke changed. And I kind of like, 
you know, I was in this situation where this contact person was in the in one corner and looked at me because he could, I think he could see how I was thinking, how my thinking went. Yeah. And then the mother turns to me of this jihadist leader and says, oh, you know, greets me and says, well, you look so sad. What's going on? And I told her then, well, you know, I'm probably going to lose my job. And she's like, why? And I'm like, because your son, you know, he first agreed to give us the interview. No, he disagrees. He says he has some, you know, uh, issues with his teeth. And um, and I brought him some Advil and stuff yeah, like this. Yeah, but yeah. no, he says he can't make it. My colleague's on the way from the U.S. Big drama, big disaster. And then this mother turns to her son, this jihadist leader, and basically tells him in front of me, you have to give her this interview, otherwise I'm going to curse the day that I gave you milk from this, uh, you know, breast. Yeah. And this guy was like, okay, mother, don't worry, I'm going to do it, and so on. And we got the interview. So, amazing. of course, it's not, he never, I mean, of course, he would never have wanted me to see that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's taking, I mean, this is the it's big shot the leader. The down it's seeing the reality that this and again it's something that it's such an easy thing to say but so hard to get across that is someone's son that is someone's you know relative that is someone's br br brother someone's husband or all these other things that they can't spend his their whole life in front of a camera looking angry instigating beheadings and these hor horrific things there's there's a human in there as well and that that's the ultimate illustration of that of being told off by your mum and and told to go and do an interview with a nice lady. <laughs> in, know, it's perfect. in this case, yes. In other <laughs> cases, I have to tell you, it's it's very interesting. Also, and we are, you know, since um, the the Barcelona text happened, um, you can actually see a huge conflict even inside families, right. and um, and it's like I have interviewed a couple of people who were radicalized in the UK and now also in the case of those guys who did the attacks in Barcelona or who, you know, uh, participated in in them who are part of this group. Some of those guys had huge issues inside their family, especially with the fathers. Yeah. Like I spoke, I interviewed um, um, parents and they would tell me, oh, you know, at some stage our sons came home and they would tell us, you have to pray more you have to write, you have to, mm -hmm. to the, to their sisters, they would say you should actually cover your hair. Um, one father was actually talking about also kind of like a conflict situation with one of his sons where, uh, the, the, the son, um, uh, who also got killed, uh, in, in Barcelona, um, who was one of the, uh, perpetrators. Um, yeah. he was at home and would tell his younger brother, his youngest brother, you shouldn't watch TV. This is all evil. And then the father would come in and say, why, why are you saying this to your, to your brother? Let him do what he wants to do. And, mm. and so you could, and, 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 the, and those kids would tell their parents, you have no idea about Islam. Yeah. And the parents would say, wait a second, I studied or I taught, my, my teachers taught me Islam in Morocco. Yeah, yeah. Um, you are telling me that you're, wherever your teacher is here is, knows better knows about more Islam than, more yeah. than the people in Morocco. So it's quite interesting. So very often there's also a conflict in, within, you know, the families. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, um, especially with the fathers. It's, it's fascinating. What, what, what do you feel are the, are the, the kind of, the keys to radicalization, I guess, um, because it is it is a bizarre thing how how that can happen within a family that the the particularly within a religious family, the father figure or parents would generally be seen as the one that's taught you everything and passed down the wisdom. So to have someone outside of that group 
completely take over that role to the extent that you're t- you're telling off your parents mm. that's a massive change and a, a massive switch for for um a, a young mind to take so in the case of of this particular family i spoke to, when i spoke to the father and i asked him how religious are you actually and yeah. he would say well he doesn't really pray much he yeah, he sure. went to spain in order to um to work and i told him so how was the relationship with your kids and um, and did you actually talk to them about their dreams and what they wanted to yeah. become and he basically said well listen i came to spain to work hard i brought the kids they i gave them food they had a place to sleep the place to sleep by the way was a small room where two brothers slept on mattresses wow. on the on the floor yeah um, um, and he said, and they had clothes and they had a chance to go to school. And I told them basically they have to go get out of, when they finish their school, they have to start working and support the family. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, okay, here you are in the midst of Europe and you're, you have sons who grew up, grow, growing up in a, in a, in a society where usually kids in that age want to, you know, talk about their dreams and they want their parents yeah. to participate to a certain extent also. And he thought that's enough, right? You give them food, you give them clothes and that's it. Yeah. Um, so very often what is happening since you asked about the reasons for radical, radicalization, we have, um, if I look at the kind of characters I, um, interviewed or I, uh, uh, uh covered, Sometimes it's because people are coming from broken families and they look for uh, places or uh, or a community uh, where they can participate in. And then yeah. recruiters understand this very well and they of would course. play the father or the brother figure. In this case, the imam, the so-called imam, yeah. took that opportunity and, and engaged, interestingly, young men who came from families where the father was either still was there but absent you know and didn't really understand his kids or where the parents were divorced so this imam came in and became like the father figure and the brother figure so i often see those kind of cases um then it it seems very specifically targeted in in that way it's looking for a specific access and level of control i guess uh, absolutely and yeah. it's uh, it's also i describe a similar uh, case of uh, of a young 16 year old uh, from from germany pero in, in in i was told to come alone who who got radicalized um i mean his father was um had had spent a couple of years in prison uh, he grew up with his mother and the grandmother and the aunt and and when the father came back there was a conflict situation and the father was also again like the father of the spanish guys of the uh, of the uh, people in repol yeah. thought well i gave my kids money they had a you know uh, they had everything they needed i didn't yeah. really engage with them so his son um you know uh, got involved with a group of people who basically told him it would be a great idea to go to Syria and his through the help of different people his parents were able to kidnap him back from Syria more yeah. or less and um, he is okay now he's, right. he's no longer involved in this but he realizes that or he told me also in interviews he said you know what actually those recruiters they gave me a family yeah 
they gave me, I mean, I didn't understand uh, that I was recruited. I thought those are, you know, my friends. This is my new family. This is, you know, this is where I can discuss stuff. And then they started engaging with him in politics. And they mm. would tell him, look, you are Muslim. We are all, you know, this is one ummah. And you have to understand Islam is under attack. And they would bring different arguments. They would say, yeah. uh, for example, in 2003, um, uh, the United States of America, the president there, as well as the president of the UK, the I'm sorry, the prime minister of the yeah. UK, um, Tony Blair, um, went to war against um, uh, uh, Iraq and said under the pretext of weapons of mass destructions, there were yeah. no weapons of mass destructions. And look what they have done to this country. They open, they have handed it over to the Iranians. So there's a whole narrative yeah. that those recruiters are using. And and then it goes on, uh, Pip. They would say, so, you know, the West is preaching that uh, they care about human rights and about that is uh, the rule of law. But if you look at the example of Iraq, who has who has paid the price for yes. this wrong decision and um and and it, it's it's you know unfortunately we don't have these kind of discussions no so, and again that's what's 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 fascinating there is uh, m most of those arguments that would be used are things that british people are looking back at as as against as well generally people look back and say that we were wrong to go into iraq all these things wrong yet it's really something that we bring up when talking about a terrorism or radicalization it's like well if we can see that some of the things in our past are wrong then surely you can see how others can see that to the point that they would feel the, the need to get involved in these in these groups and in these in these reactions and and attacks and and it's 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 uh, you're absolutely right of course we all have and the media as well have discussed and, and, and debated about uh that the decision or the pretext under which yeah. um troops went to, into iraq w was wrong yeah but what were the consequences yeah and this is i think where we have to understand um, um, to some people this what happened uh, or the the non-existing existence of consequences is a major um, um, uh, issue, and they believe that this is uh, uh, that this shows how hypocrite we are yeah. as societies. And um, and I'm trying to explain this to to the readers because um, you know a lot of people think. They, it's way too easy. They believe it's it's religion is the problem, and yeah. I'm trying to explain to them religion is not radicalizing people, but people are radicalizing religion. Yeah, and very often, That's beautifully put. Yeah, and very often it's um, uh, whether we like it or not, but we are still lacking um, the willingness of looking into how are we actually dealing with our own values. Yeah. How are we actually, we as people, and I grew up in the West, I'm, yeah. I'm a woman who is, I'm a Western woman, I'm Muslim, but I, I, I work, uh, you know, um, in a, for Western newspapers, yeah. I risked my life uh, several times to, um, to help, you know, under, to, to understand, but also help people see what is going on on the hearts and minds of those people because yeah. otherwise we will not find solutions yeah yeah completely and and again it's 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 that it's a lack of understanding again in 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 many people in in western society that uh, the the greatest victims of 
ISIS and of Al Qaeda in numbers are, are Muslims and are in 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 their own communities. So it's again, it's it's ridiculous to say that it's a religious issue when it's w- w- within that religion in itself. So it can't be that that book is teaching people to do this or that. It's like, well, there's billions it's not teaching to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so it can't be this clear thing that's 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 the problem or the issue. I, you know, I describe it in um, in the book as I, I don't. First of all, I don't think it's a clash of civilizations. If you are civilized, you don't clash. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, and um, so it's it's way this whole notion of uh, describing it as uh, it's the religion, it's them and us. It's not that. It's I think it's it's we are facing today or in these days and years, uh, unfortunately, a clash between people who would like to build bridges, and it doesn't matter what religious background you have or if you even have a religious background, because. I, you know, I know people who don't believe in religion and they are human beings and I'm yeah. friends with uh, such people and um, it's about uh, mutual respect and, uh, you know, the Absolutely. the willingness to listen to each other and um, to uh, to have uh, to understand their basic values and and uh, things that we all care about and mm-hmm. we all try to honor. Um, I think it's it's a more like a clash between those who want to build bridges and live together and those who want to actually um, divide us as yeah. societies. And what, those who want to divide us are not only ISIS, Al-Qaeda or wh- whatsoever. I'm also talking about populist movements. Yeah. And if we look at what's happening in Europe today or also in the United States, um, so, uh, some, you know, recent um, protests, right, yeah. where you see um, people talking about others um other religious groups or groups and um in in a in a way where you're just you know i i in my case case i sit back and i um you know my last the last book i co-authored was about a nazi doctor right um and i sometimes you know think haven't we learned yeah we still haven't learned really is it after you know all what happened the hatred the killing of innocent people and the general and knowing how ge- how poisonous generalization is, um, it seems we haven't learned much, and um, and that's I think is is the the real uh, issue we are facing. We are facing you know it's 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 very important not to listen to those who find the easy answers and to look at things um, as a matter of black and white. If you're not with us, you're against us, and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, completely, and, and uh, I, th- I think it's a it's 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 definitely worth highlighting at the moment that in the past whereas there have been conflicts between those with with different religious beliefs at present there's kind of a third brought in of those who don't have religious beliefs and as you say the the everyone's beliefs if 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 used correctly and governed correctly or 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 just interpreted correctly sh- shouldn't affect anyone else and shouldn't be anyone else's business it shouldn't matter that i may not be religious and you are it's like we that that shouldn't be a, a, a conflicting p- point we should be comfortable with saying well no this is my beliefs yeah they're right for me i'm 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 uniquely positioned to know what's right for for me because i've, I've been me for 36 years whereas you're a uniquely positioned to know what's right and what are in your beliefs because you've been you for that amount of time, it's crazy for for, 
for me to think I should be able to tell you, oh, no, no, you shouldn't believe that. that that's not right. So who am I to say that? Do you know what I mean? It's, it, yeah. if, if we had more comfort in ourselves, I don't think we'd feel as much of a need to get everyone else to agree with us and everyone has to be on the same page. If you're more comfortable with what who you are and, and what you, you believe, it shouldn't matter that much what these other people I believe. Absolutely. There is also this whole question of who has the right to, you know, to decide what is right and wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, again, we have uh, all had our history lessons um, of how, uh, what happened during um, the colonialization, yeah. uh, you know, how colonializers were uh, trying to implement um, their rule of law and they and the way they looked at the world uh, into um, different societies and and uh, parts of this world and and so I think we also have to have a discussion about who has the right of defining what is right and wrong completely and, and that's I mean that's the the craziest example of all in history that gets overlooked so much by the West or by Britain is that 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 wasn't even a case of as people will complain now. So, for example, the, the people fear men will say, well, there's these Muslim communities who ha have their own beliefs and own, own rules and they want to live their way in our country. That's not what we did with <laughs> colonisation. We went over there and then we didn't even want to live there. We just wanted to go home but make sure that they lived our way. That's that's completely insane, you know, and it gets so overlooked that we went around the world saying, it's not that we're going to come here and live in our way. We're just going to tell you to live in our way and then we're going to go back over here and you know it's, it's crazy but it's i mean it weren't only muslims uh, just don't forget what happened in amritsar how many sikhs were killed yeah. uh, also um, right. uh, back then but y you know there's um there's also a, a couple of lessons in this book for uh, members of the muslim community where i'm you know when we talk about this whole issue of um integration or so-called integration or being open also or going into societies with with an open you know open mind yeah. and to be also willing to to learn from um, and to participate in those societies so that's why for example I, I mentioned also how when I was a, a child and my parents took me back um, from Morocco and you know in Morocco I was my, my my grandfather was a freedom fighter. He fought, so you know, he fought against the French occupation. Wow. Yeah. And when he told me the stories of um, how he fought with his Jewish brothers, very important, with his yeah. Jewish brothers against French occupation, and how they called it a jihad. You know, it was the first time I was I came across the word jihad was when my, when my grandfather talked right. about it. But he told him to, he told me back then we never touched any civilian that that is not allowed in jihad yeah. you are not allowed to kill innocent people so you know as a child i grew up with like to me jihad was my grandfather and his jewish friends you know because he came from an area where there were jews and yeah, muslims yeah. living together were fighting against people who were getting into the country and had you know yeah. and tried to implement their rule of law um so it was in their defense and it, but it was also with the clear rule not to kill civilians yeah and so when i started having those conversations with people from ISIS or Al-Qaeda and they would talk about jihad, I would challenge them with my grandfather's yeah. words yeah. and say, you're talking bad about Jewish people or about Christians and so on, but are you aware that those people participated also in uh, tr you know, trying to free, um, for example, Morocco yeah. from the French uh, uh, occupation yeah. or Algeria? So, And they 
themselves also don't want into want to look into the facts of history. So yeah. it's not only people in the West, but of course, it's also not in the interest of all those groups to talk about, oh, yeah, Jews, by the way, also participated in fighting um, the occupiers. And now, so that's that's also another, you know, example. So the book is not only talking about the yeah. people in the West, but also about people in the Muslim community should also look into the historical facts. Yeah. And the other thing is, so when I was brought back to Germany, um, I was like four years old and I participated in kindergarten. My parents put me in a Christian kindergarten. Yeah. So I came back from Morocco where I had my first real friend was a Jewish girl. I went to a Christian kindergarten and I learned about Jesus. And my parents would say, you know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is also a prophet in Islam. Um, they People in Christianity believe that he's the son of God. We don't do that, but he's a prophet in Islam. So they were always trying to teach me what we all had in common. Yeah, yeah. And um and I we celebrated Christmas. We, you know, I mean in a way that Muslims like the Muslim family would celebrate Christmas because they they didn't want their kids to feel that uh, they are outsiders in the kindergarten. And um and so I you know, we participated. My parents always tried to push us back into the society. But that's the beautiful thing thing there and, and something i think is often lacking in the argument on, on both sides in integration and participation is not participation because it's 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 for the best it's it's it, it'll make things easier out of politeness or out of duty participation because of the enrichment that you can get from learning from other societies and learning from from other cultures it sounds there that you were having a great time engaging in 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 the different beliefs and communities and 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 actions rather than any it's for the best if we integrate because of this or because of that it's like no let's all learn and 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 to teach those societies our beliefs and our and even just yeah just going from food and music and fashion and and all these other things these things are, are wonderful to integrate and mix absolutely and since you mentioned music i mean i was uh, before i turned into like the investigative reporter yeah. um i had a you know i had a music show i mean i was I presenting a, a pop music show yeah. and so i'm like an 80s girl so yeah. um and um uh, so I, it's 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 really you know you can be muslim and you can also be a descendant of the prophet and you can still also be open minded and 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 say yes we you know it, it is it is part of our actually i believe part of our belief system that we should engage with people and be open minded yeah. and it's not um and we have to be careful also as muslims not to to think about uh, the them and us it's you know it's us all together and when i live in um you know in a country um uh, in a different country i think it's very important also for the for uh, that your kids or um your your, your family um um, you know, can can be part of the community, yeah. and uh, and as you said, to to learn from each other, to be willing to um, to listen to each other, and we don't necessarily have to have to agree always. Yeah. Um, but very often we find that um, you know that there are so many things we have in common if we are just willing to also you know talk to each other and engage yeah. with, with yeah. each other. And again, it's that thing there as well of of accepting that we don't have to argue over who's right and who's wrong we can engage 
where you can have these interactions and 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 and, and crossovers of of beliefs and views and and, and cultures. And there's uh, so many also bridge building things, elements. I mean, music. Since you mentioned yeah, music, yeah. Um, there's certain you know um, names that uh, are even. Uh, I remember I, I interviewed once uh, somebody from <laughs> from actually Al Qaeda. It's weird uh, why I'm saying this now, but uh, <laughs> it's not in the book. But um, he was um, he was telling me about the, the time before he joined the group, and and at some stage I asked him. So, did you also listen to music? And he's like, oh, and then his face expression totally changed. He said, oh, you know, actually, I loved Michael Jackson. Amazing. And I sat there, I'm like, right, yeah. And then, uh, and he said, yeah. And then, you know, Elton John was amazing too. And I'm like, you liked Elton John. <laughs> okay. So, and then we started talking like for five minutes. It was as if the guy forgot um, that he was part of this group. Now we yeah. we chatted about you know the music and and he was and then he would always say yeah but this was before you know this was the time before I really understood what Islam is and then at some stage I said to him but where does Islam tell you that you should not like Michael Jackson and Elton John yeah yeah and he couldn't answer me yeah and it was just um, uh, but it was really so interesting to see. I, I was able for some time to took uh, to take away the mask of like you know here I am the Al Qaeda fighter and so on yeah and to and to to see to make him talk with like also his face expression changing about Michael Jackson and Elton John yeah. it didn't make him less dangerous right but again there was a there was there was this moment where I understood that this guy was somebody else before yeah, and i yeah. and and what was important to me to understand then further was why did he become who he became yeah, and that's also what i'm what i you know what i'm trying with i was told to come along to explain why are people becoming who they became yeah. why did jihadi john or mohammed Mwazi, who grew up in london yeah turn into a person who beheaded colleagues of mine yeah and and jihadi john is 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 is, is very much part of your story of, of when you were in London and kind of un, uncovered the, the identity there. So so yeah. how was all that kind of at that point? Yeah. To, particularly, as you said, with colleagues in great risk and it, it must have really highlighted that what you were doing as if it wasn't already obvious was incredibly dangerous and and, and, and risky. So what I didn't know when I was in, actually in the car with those uh, with this ISIS uh, commander uh, and drove along the Turkish Syrian border region was that he was the boss of Jihadi John. Right. That wow. he had overseen um, the hostage program, and um, so the interview I did with him was uh, took place a couple of weeks before the first beheading happened, and wow. and later when I found out who he was, I kind of felt, oh God, right? I, then you understand even further how dangerous it could have been uh, for me, for me as well, and um, the Mohammed Mwazi or Jihadi John story is uh, uh, or was was really. Um, was really when you I don't know if you read the the chapter, but it's uh, it's it was like a really surreal um, uh, situation, also a work situation. It was very very tough because it included going to a different part of Germany, um, uh, getting um, a, a phone, um, uh, a burner phone, and a, a SIM card from a person from a different from an, a person who. Um, I was supposed to always go to when uh, I had to be in touch with a specific person who I knew inside ISIS, an right. old um, 
uh, a contact of mine. And then I, there were certain codes, for example, the person would, would tell me, um, are you going f to jog at uh, this specific time uh, in the afternoon? Then I knew that it was actually in the morning I was supposed to go and uh, not jog, but go away and, and sure. in an open area to, in order to speak to this person uh, over this phone, the specific yeah. phone. And um, so what happened was I, um, I had a couple of, of info, a little bit of information about um, this jihadi John, which came, which we gathered from talking to former hostages, but also um, uh, I went back to my notebook and went through the interview that I did with um, right. Abu Yusuf, this uh, ISIS commander, yeah. and started. You know, I made a list of different things. Like, for example, we knew that Jihadi John was interested in Somalia because he showed some of the former hostages videos from Somalia. We um, I knew from the interview with Abu Yusuf that he spoke about even highly educated brothers from uh, the UK of this and this background and that and that background. So I made a list. And when I spoke to this one source I had, I kind of like bluffed to this uh, when I right. spoke to this ISIS man over the phone. And I basically made him believe that I already that we got information and leaks uh, about Jihadi John and and he decided or i i mean he told me to to wait and to be and he would be back, back in touch and i think he probably had to talk to somebody because he was also quite high level inside the hierarchy of isis and yeah. um and out of a sudden i received like a message on this phone and it said you know go to london um go and talk to the, a group called cage and ask you know about emwazi they had to do with him yeah and this was the first time that i felt oh my god is this emwazi my jihadi john yeah. and, um, wow. but then you know the journey went on and i'm not going to give you the whole story yeah, you know no, because we want people to buy the book yeah, right no, completely. Yeah, 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 100%. <laughs> but it's it's like a, i mean it was really a lot of work it was a lot of um work a lot of uh, you know, double and triple checking. And then by the end of the day, we got in a situation where, um, uh, I think some parts of the, some parts of the, of the British authorities didn't want us to release the name. And, yeah. um, and we felt later that they were trying to, to leak the name to, um, some British colleagues so that it yeah. wouldn't be the Washington Post, um, right. I see. Running yeah, yeah, the name yeah, yeah. first. So, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, 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 so f a fascinating and in, in, engaging, but every now and then I have to r remind myself that you're. And again, it might be something that you have to remind yourself that you're a journalist. Yeah. You're not working for the government. You're not a secret agent or or, or, <laughs> no, or whatever not. else. But you're doing, you know, the the work of that in places in a situation like that where you're you're having to bluff and to try and get information um do you ever have to remind yourself when you're in these situations and talking to these people that you're there to gain understanding and information rather than to convince them or win them over or anything else because you know what i mean when you're having those arguments or discussions and it's your belief system you're defending it obviously we discussed the point when he reaches for a gun is the point to to stop that conversation but it's is that something you ever feel that you feel your an urgency to to convince them of why they're wrong and what's wrong when that's not necessarily your role 
in that situation. Mm. No, it's not about convincing, but it's about challenging. Mm. And it's my part. It's my it's my job. It's part of my job to challenge people, and to um, and to look uh, behind the mask. Yeah. And um, I don't have to remind myself because I know I'm a journalist. My my job is to do my level best in order to get the best possible information um, and truth for the readers. Yeah. And this is what I'm what I'm doing. So I'm I'm not I don't work for governments, and yeah. uh, I have probably uh, written a lot of pieces that. Um, yeah, pissed off a lot of governments yeah, 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 uh, yeah. and all sides, by the way. I also uh, was in situations and um, I'm describing this in the book where I was under threat myself and um, uh, and had been threatened by different people, by on one hand activists from, you know, for example, in Bahrain who didn't like my reporting and then again from people who were members later by ISIS who yeah. didn't like my reporting. So, yes, there's a lot of, um, there's a, sometimes a price you you pay when you do this kind of, of job but it's also and it's not about convincing i'm not there to convince people it's yeah. it's not that it's about challenging but it's part of my job i cannot just go into an interview and uh listen to i'm not like i'm not a pr person right yeah. i'm not there yeah. to just listen and basically uh, uh give you know uh, write an article Pass which on is a, based. A message as such, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm not. This is not my. <laughs> this is not my job. Yeah. My job is to really challenge people and to to also look into um, to argue with them. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I want to convince them. It's just yeah. about um, really, you know, doing my job of be, asking critical questions yeah. to yeah. all sides. Yeah, and again, it, if it's 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 as essential. For for anything you're working on to ask that question, as it is for to to challenge them to ju ju justify their actions as such. Because if no one is asking these critical questions, if they're just being told by this person the whole time, here's what we need to do, then it's important to go why and why that and why is it this part that we're ignoring and this part that we're paying attention to, rather than ignoring that part and paying attention to this part. Because again, it's it's such it's always such ancient and historical teachings that yeah. do change and w will be s certain bits completely ignored and certain bits completely well that's what it says we have to follow it by the yeah, by the letter yes and you know um Pip, it's also it's also by uh, you know when w let me give you an example i said with a, a person uh, who was an uh, isis recruit and uh, this kid didn't even because he was a kid he was not even 18 yeah. he couldn't even read Arabic. And then I told him, and he would give me, you know, he would give me the narrative his recruiter gave him, oh, there's a yeah. war against Islam, and you know, and we have to defend ourselves, and those are the unbelievers, and uh, this whole thing. And then at some stage I said to him, okay, listen, um, explain to me, um, so you don't read Arabic, right? No, I don't read Arabic. And I said to him, so explain to me, how is it possible that you are saying, um, you you calling those people unbelievers if the prophet called them the members of the book religions and that um and he's and then he looked at me he said what do you mean i said you say unbelievers you call jewish and christian people unbelievers while the prophet 
in whose name you're doing all this, yeah, yeah. Uh, called them the members of the book religion. The Quran talks about the members of the book religion. And those people, you know, there are certain rules that they have the right to, you know, to, li to mm. live on. And, you know, and so on. He couldn't answer me that. He couldn't also answer me when I told him, um, uh, when he said that he felt the, the need to go and fight jihad. I said to him, but... You know, there's this story of the prophet where a young man went to him and said, I want to fight jihad. And then the prophet answer, asked him, do your parents still live? And he said, yes. And then he was, this young man was told, then you can fight jihad by, jihad by taking care of them, by looking after them. Wow. So, and he didn't know all this yeah. because guess what? He doesn't know Arabic. He did, of course, his, his recruiter doesn't tell him this kind oh, of stories. Oh, what easier and, a person to radicalize than someone who can't quite, literally can't question it because of that lack of being able to research it themselves. Exactly. And so if I have the knowledge yeah. of challenging them and I'm, this is, and I'm asking the same questions to recruiters, I have yeah. sitting with people, with um, preachers who were preaching in the UK. I mean, Omar Bakri Mohammed, who was the, who was basically the the spiritual father of all those uh, people from uh, groups such as Muhajirun and others um, mm. that are very known in the UK. Um, it is my job to challenge people. It is my job to ask these questions because you know when you have the knowledge um, and you you don't um, and and people are claiming that they're doing this in the name of the religion. Yeah. Um, then I need to ask them. Yeah. But I asked also when I covered so-called born-again Christians, yeah. you know, I covered also born-again Christian movements. And trust me, some of those people are not less dangerous than yeah. some of the other people sure. that I interviewed. Um, and I asked them about Christianity as well. Because, yes, I've been to a Christian kindergarten. And, yes, yeah. I did read the New you know, Testament and the uh, the Bible as well. Because it's part of my job yeah. to ask yeah critical questions yeah of course it doesn't mean that i need to i want to convince them or whatsoever um but it's part of my uh of my for my article it's important to also explain to the reader this is who i'm talking to yeah yeah and this is really how much knowledge the person has yeah yeah look i, I laid it out there <laughs> like, here's what i said this is this words. well um i'll start to, uh, to, uh, to wrap things up now um the last thing i want to kind of discuss the for anyone of of my generation, at least the the turning point and pinnacle of 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 everything that's been going on in over these these years was nine eleven. That was uh, an un, unforgettable moment in our history. Um, and again, it caused great waves on both sides. It meant that the West kind of almost had free reign to go and attack or feel they had free reign to go and attack where they wanted to attack even if it was unrelated to al-qaeda or the taliban or, or anything else so how do you think things have have or do you feel since then the issue is, has has increased or decreased because it's it's such a hard one to gauge from the outside because are we becoming desensitized because there's more attacks are we hearing more because of the internet and social media and things being that bit more accessible and shareable if it's the right headline and the right story how do you feel we are at this point in the in the in that conflict i guess mm. so you know when we um the, the interesting thing is when we talk about the west we we sometimes forget to um to um to remember 
that we have a lot of Muslims who are Westerners as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and it's um, uh, so to me, 9/11 was also one of those key moments of uh, because uh, I was well, as soon as I learned that some of those um, 9/11 pilots had lived in Hamburg where I visited journalism school, I was in deep shock yeah. and I needed to understand why they turned into, uh, you know, mass murderers and how this was possible. And here again, I think we forget that they got radicalized in, Euro in Europe, in Hamburg yeah. and not in Egypt or in the United Arab Emirates or in Lebanon, where they came from, they came as students and they were radicalized in the, in the midst of Hamburg, in the yeah. society that I, where I visited my journalism school. I didn't get radicalized, but it's, they went into certain neighborhoods and uh, got involved with certain people, recruiters who were able to, you know, to, to, con to basically brainwash them. Yeah. Now, where are we today? I think the, when I look at, The fact that we have not only Al-Qaeda, but we have ISIS, we have so many other groups now. Yeah. When I see what the outcome is of the so-called Arab Spring, you know, where people uh, again looked at the things as, oh, yeah, those protesters, they all want democracy. You who we are, you know, we are all in for that. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and people didn't want to really look into what the reality that happened on the ground and the whole question of if somebody talks about democracy are they talking about the values that uh, we consider as democratic values or are they talking about implementing voting system which yeah. is different right yeah. um and um so i don't think we are doing quite well if you yeah. ask me i yeah. think the um i think people got to a certain extent used to this whole uh Uh, th those incidents where people are taking knives and believe and just stab others uh, in the name of ISIS or whatsoever. I think people got kind of like used to it, but in Europe at least. Um, but I'm afraid that uh, we haven't seen the worst yet. Yeah. But you said something during this, during in, in the last uh, half an hour, which is absolutely true and accurate and important to always remember. What we are witnessing here, the attacks that we are witnessing in Europe, is maybe 1% of what people in yeah. Iraq and Syria and other places have to go through. Mm -hmm. And also to always remember, this is not a fight or a war or a, a conflict between Islam and the rest or what. Uh, this, is, this is a conflict between people who turned into an idea to into uh, you know or joined an ideology for whatever reason that which i'm describing in the book yeah. but uh, joined an ideology that believes that any person no matter what religion this person has who has a different set of beliefs and who does not sign up for their set of beliefs is an enemy so what we are witnessing here in europe is maybe is maybe a cup you know is it's it's maybe one, two or three percent of yeah. what people in Iraq and Syria are and, witnessing every day who have to live under such groups. Completely. And that's that 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 alone very clearly um illustrates that it's not a war against our way of living or our way of it's, if it was, it'd be higher than a few percent affecting the West as such. It's 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 it is, as you you said, it's 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 a radicalization of a of a religion and a 
a belief system. Um, and we should not forget that there are a lot of people who are doing those kind of actions in and who have been doing them in the last couple of years in Iraq and in Syria who are British citizens, German mm. citizens, Dutch right. citizens, French yeah. citizens, Belgium citizens. Yeah. And uh, and of course now the big question is what uh, has should happen with them um, uh, because some of those people want to return. And um, and of course, I mean, they are citizens of European countries, yeah. And they were radicalized in Europe, so they are, of course, also our problem. We yeah, yeah completely will have to deal with them. They're not the problems of the Iraqis or the Syrians yeah. because those people got radicalized in the midst of our societies. And and I don't, and I don't think we have the discussions, and we are still not willing to look inside our societies in 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 order to prevent the reasons for radicalization and yeah. that's that's what worries me yeah yeah as i said it, it does feel it's it's i mean you touched upon earlier that anyone that that that, that the the fear should be of listening to anyone that seems to paint it as a black and white a scenario and that's i think from the book and from our discussion it's it couldn't be clearer that it's it's not that it is a it is an issue that similarly with most big issues in societies. I mean, we touched briefly on on America, but the the rise of the far right is it's not an issue that it's not a white issue or a black issue. It's it's an issue that everyone needs to get involved in. It's it, the a simple quote in in a, a racist society is no longer enough to simply not be racist. You have to be anti-racist you have to be against this but again it takes action on all sides it takes action from from the muslim community it takes action from the labeled west you know whoever that may be because the muslim community in there as well but it takes action from all sides i see it's a it's a it's a a sadly complex situation but again i love the fact that we can have these conversations and as said i urge people to to grab um i was told not to come alone it's available now all over the place so yeah thank you very much for for i mean number one in a small way for having this conversation but in a far grander way for all the conversations that you've 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 put your life at risk to have in uh in in your career so far thank you thanks for having me pip thank you very much cheers There we go. I mean, what did I tell I I warned you this was... I've been hyping this one for a couple of weeks and saying it's a pretty special one. I, I hope you agree. I think you will agree. Um, as I said at the start, I hope you're all up for sharing this and pushing this on word of mouth and social media. This isn't one that is going to be the front page of iTunes and things like that, like episodes with Eddie Izzard or Ashlyn B or whoever else, any other big names. Um, but it's one that should be, and it, it's one that will rely on your word of mouth and your your passionate um, screaming it from the rooftops to get this out there. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed that. I, I thought it was amazing. Um, next week, I'm joined by Hugo White from the Maccabees, a wonderful conversation. The, the first time we'd met, and we just hit it off massively. Um, I could have chatted to him 
for hours and hours. Uh, so yeah, hope you enjoy that one. Oh, oh, and we also talk about um, the fact that everyone thinks I, 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 I'm, I wasn't aware of this until some people mocked me on social media that everyone thinks I name drop um, Adele or Kate Nash or whoever else. Uh, it's not true it's just i happen to talk to people from back in the day when we all used to gig it's not uh, i mean whatever just leave it all right um speaking of leaving that stuff if you'd like to leave a review on itunes um rate and review us uh i hear from listening to other podcasts that that's a big deal and we really care about that i've never looked at my reviews i don't really know I don't know if it makes a difference. Uh, if it, they say it helps advertisers or sponsors or something. I don't know. Don't bother. Don't 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 rate and review. Go and rate and review hardcore listing or say why to drugs or stop and search or choosing night jaw instead of distraction pieces podcast. Just do that. I don't care. I don't want your reviews. I mean, yeah, I do. I do want them. Actually, I've changed my mind. Can you go and review this? Can you go and rate and review, please? That would be cool. In fact, don't rate and review. Don't do any of that. Just go online or into your, a bookshop and order Soad McHennett's, um I Was Told to Come Alone book and read that um, digital or physical. Uh, yeah, check it out. I've been listening. I've been reading. I'm just going to talk for ages at the end now. I've been reading a James Acaster's book recently and I've, it's, my, it's my reading for when I'm going in and out of, of London for stuff and Every time I've picked it up and had that journey, I've laughed out loud. I've not lolled. I've l- actually laughed out loud. Um, not that loud. Uh, uh, audible, but not, but not that loud. Maybe not audible over the the, the noise of a of a train. Um, but I have laughed. I think it's a great book, and it's making me ch- chuckle. So yeah, check that out. I'm going to go now, and I'll be back next week. See you later. Ta ta.